first podcast so you know what we're gonna do is i'm not gonna prep them we're gonna jump right right into this jump right into it drew ward welcome to the show brother thank you thank you for having me man yeah you know what you're looking good you're you're ready to go so for everybody out there right now who's listening and listening and not watching this drew is looking good he's he's all prepped and ready to go he's live camera time brother i appreciate you coming on the show man i've wanted to have you on for a while because there's a lot of things that you do that I want other people to know. And that is one of them from going from the military, the transition into, you know, cooking and being a chef, executive chef. And that is like, it's such different worlds, but they're really not. They're like new missions or new ways to like, you really need a team in the kitchen. It doesn't just come down to that particular chef. So I know a lot of people, myself included, have always had this like kind of like edge that I kind of want to be a chef. I love cooking. I love this. I love that. But how did you, what's your background, brother? Where did you come from and get into this field? It's funny, man. I, I grew up in Tennessee, um, you know, high school, started working at McDonald's, did all that fun stuff, and then did a, a one glorious semester of college. And then my dad was kind of like, what are, you, what are you doing with your life, man? <laughs> you know, and I was almost 21 and my dad was in the military. His dad was in the military. So they're like, you know what? Why don't you go military? I'm like, you know, I've always kind of went back and forth on it. So when the army and the recruiter said, you want to cook? And I was like, nope, I'm done. I'm not cooking again. It's not my <laughs> life. And then probably a year into the army, I was like, man, I miss restaurants. <laughs> I think, I think I found out the thing I actually really like to do. So what'd you do in the army, my, man? I was an ammunition specialist. So I was in uh, 110 Cav in an Air Scout unit. So it's uh it's funny, like whenever I talk to anybody who has a military background and they go into like the culinary field, none of them really did that in the military. So yeah, it's like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know <laughs> why that is, but yeah. Um and I was in fourth ID. You were at fourth ID, right? Yeah, fourth you ID know? in the nineties, yeah. bro. That was like whew. I gotta stop saying, bro. That's not a professional podcaster. Yeah, but yeah I was okay. Fort Car- Fort Carson, man. When Fourth ID was there, then they went to Fort Hood. Did yeah, they go back? To, did they go back to Fort Carson? They definitely left Hood. I'm not sure where they are now, but I think so. Yeah, because then I went to Fort Hood, First Cav. So uh, no, yeah, okay. interesting transition. Yeah. So yeah, bro. It's uh, there we go again with this bro thing. <laughs> I tell you, man. It's it it's a different thing when you get out of the service you know and have to transition did you know you wanted to what you wanted to do when you got out not really i mean i was back and forth yeah i I was back and forth on at one point i thought maybe i'll do something with state trooper or something and then kept thinking about i just love to cook i always love to cook and actually one of my best friends was like dude you're the only guy i know that cooks just to cook it's not actually even to eat you just want to cook so um so as i was getting out i started looking around and found a what used to be called the French Culinary Institute in Manhattan. And it was a six month school. So at that point I'm 26. I don't really feel like going to, you know, a big four year school. So went there and it was cook all day and then worked in restaurants six nights a week while going to school. So talk about a kick in the ass. Like you're like, bam, you are in the industry. Now there is none of this. uh, We're going to like slowly after four years of college, work you into some sort of, 
position. Now, the Culinary Institute, you know, loving to cook and and knowing how to really cook is completely different, I'd imagine. Yes, very different. You know, it's I you could ask my wife when I cook at home, it's not a it's not the cleanest situation sometimes. She has to remind me I don't have a bunch of other people working in the kitchen to help me out there. Um but yeah, I mean it's it's exciting. You're in the kitchen and kind of going from the army. You're with it's that same camaraderie, right? When you're with your squad or your even your platoon, and you guys are all doing the same thing. You're kind of fighting the same fight, and you get in the kitchen. And it's that same feeling, you know. You get the rush from service. You all got to have each other's back. It's still kind of that whole brotherhood type thing. Well, one thing I was thinking about too is like when you're like you go to a culinary institute and you're learning how to cook. Before this, you're probably cooking food that you like, but not yeah. like the overall public. You know, and now when you go to what is what is culinary school like? Like, what's a day to day? Is it like is it like a college or do you go there and instead of books, you're you know, you're looking at cookbooks and you're out there cooking different things? Yeah. You know, it depends on the school. If you go to a four year culinary school, they definitely have more. You know, you got to take your math and your Englishes and such. The one I went to was all submersive cooking. That's all it was. So we'd walk in eight in the morning. You'd have about an hour of class time that kind of said, hey, this is what we're working on today. And then the next six or seven hours we were just cooking and it was a French school. So we learned all the basics of French cooking. And, you know, there's a lot of things I'd never seen nor knew how to pronounce. Um, so coming from East Tennessee, it was definitely some new foods. Um, I thought I liked salt and I learned I had no idea how much salt I was supposed to be using, which is way more than I thought. So, you know, what is up with the French brother? How come everybody, when they want to go, and they want to learn how to cook. They always go to like a French culinary school or French culinary institute. Well, I mean, they kind of started it. There's only, there's actually only two um, formal cooking styles in the world. And that's Chinese and French, right? So in French, if you say you're making a hollandaise sauce, that is the way to make the hollandaise sauce. There is no variation. Whereas, you know, Italian, every grandma on earth has a different marinara recipe, right? So, and can still call it marinara. Yeah, I was I was always trying to figure that. I'm like, everybody's like, oh, I went to one of the best French culinary institutes in the world. And it's like, really? I'm like, what does that even mean? Yeah, it's the base. I mean, it's really the basics of pretty much every kitchen and recipe that starts all kind of starts from that French background. Now, how did you break into the business? I mean, did you when you were working at these restaurants at night, did you get a full time gig once you once you graduated? Oh, that, that was my full-time gig. I mean, I was literally, oh, okay. I moved, I moved to New York, uh, September. It was the first time, I, first time I ever saw New York city was the day I moved there. Um, moved in, started culinary school, immediately knew I needed a job cause I had no money. Um, one of my classmates was working and he said, Hey, the chef wants to meet you. I went in and, uh, started working at a place that's now closed called the Manhattan ocean club. And so I was literally, I'd get out of school, go straight there and work. And then, when I graduated school, I got a second job at a place called Tabla. So I worked 6.30 to 3 and then 4 to midnight at the other joint. And that was seven days a week pretty much until I got my first management role. So Now, work me, walk me through like a typical getting there, prepping and everything. How do you make so many meals and how do you make them all kind of like standard? And how do you work with the team? I want to know what goes on behind the scenes. Making it standard and consistent is the hardest part, right? Because I can make it, you know, but getting someone else to make it, make it, make it. So, I mean, it's really, I'm a, I'm a big believer in all the menus I write. I do a lot of heavy prep so that on the line, when the orders are coming in, these guys, 
know exactly how to get it. They take something that we already know tastes good and finish it. So it's, you know, you go in the morning, look at what you got, you got to make your list, um, kind of inventory, basically get that going. People come in, they get their assignments and then it's just managing through it. And then once service starts, you know, like I loved expoing, being in the window and calling all the tickets. That was my favorite. And it's really still like, you're just, you're just leading the guys. I mean, you know, you see somebody going down and it's, Hey, you jump over and help him and you jump over and help him or her. And, you know, so it's just, everybody has to work in that. It's kind of like a big controlled chaos, which is what I always loved about it. Yeah. I can, so I can imagine like a Tuesday night is different than like a, a busy Friday night. So yeah, yeah. what, what is your team like? How do they deal? I mean, are, I can imagine the transition is going to be, you know, in and out, in and out with new employees, or you got the ones that stick around for a while. Yeah. And I mean, right now it's crazy because every restaurant in America has got a shortage on employees. So, you know, you get the guys that just want to be there. They've got a passion. They want to grow and you really just give them everything they need. And you just work with them, work with them. And then you got your, you know, you got your uh, mercenaries that they're great at what they do. They're not really loyal to anybody, but they're going to, come in and they're going to kill it and that's okay. You know, you got to have that side of it too. So, um, you know, it's funny when I first started as a line cook in New York, I was working six nights a week, but I had Friday off. And in my head, I was like, well, Friday has got to be the biggest night. Like I must not be good enough to be here on Friday. And I asked the chef and he's like, no, man, he's like, Fridays are actually easier for us because it's more spread out weeknights. We get crushed because it's a shorter period. That's when I need you. And I was like, Oh, okay. Just, make, just making sure, man. <laughs> What is your favorite meal to cook? Oh, man, I I could answer that question 10 different ways in 10 different days. You know, it, it's tough. Um, I love seafood. So anything anything seafood wise, you know, even from just raw oysters, that's probably one of my favorite meals in the world. Um, love pasta, though. So I always do a lot of pasta on weekends when I'm home. I cook. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can say I have a favorite meal. It's, it's too hard. It's winter. Christmas is over. You got to boost your immunity. How do you do that? You take vitamins. That's what I do all the time. Don't have access to the sun like I would every day. So what do I do? I check out Health to the Rescue. Take my vitamin D. The other cool thing about Health to the Rescue is for every bottle of their Made in the USA supplements, they give $5 to help fight human trafficking. So make sure you check out healthtotherescue.com. They're doing great things. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. One thing I do rely on right now is using Faraday Defense for my electronics and gadgets, my credit cards and everything else. Why? Because check this out. From their site, managing waves has become more essential to our everyday lives. Devices and wireless technologies are being rolled out at a faster pace than ever before. The impact on health and security can be mitigated with proper engineering. This is the mission at Faraday Defense Corps. That's what I'm talking about right there. Mitigation from all of these different waves, both coming and going. So please check out Faraday Defense. I have to laugh. I was watching this movie called Pig the other day with uh, Nicholas Cage. Oh, is that Cage. the Nicholas Cage? I yeah. want to see that. It's it's decent, man. It's weird, but it's good. It's good. Because he's like, it's like a truffle pig farmer or something. Yeah, right? but he's like, like this, like one of the best chefs ever. And he's like, I can remember everyone I ever served. And like, but the food to the food like really good food like i can remember like a handful of good meals i've had in my life it's weird how yeah. food really is it's just so special so that must be a cool feeling like when you when you get together and you put together a really good meal that someone will remember 
Yeah, you know, one thing I always tell young cooks is as chefs, we we kind of have the power to make or break somebody's day, right? You know, somebody's coming in for their birthday or for their anniversary. If the meal's not right, all they're going to talk about is, that's uh, the birthday I had where the food sucked, right? Mm-hmm. So, but if we do it all right, they're going to be like, oh my God, I had the awesome birthday and the food was killer. I went to this cool restaurant. And, you know, so it's, it's pretty, it's instant gratification, really. I mean, you also know when they don't like it instantly. So, <laughs> Now you're you're rolling all over the place, man. Like, what's going on in Philly? Was that the Victory Victory Brew? Yeah. So the company I work for, um, Artisanal Brewing Ventures, I'm their corporate chef. So we've got Southern Tier Brewing, Victory Brewing, um, Bold Rock Hard Cider, Six Point Brewing, and so we're in five different states. Um, so we just opened Victory Philadelphia, a Buffalo Southern Tier, and a Asheville Bold Rock. So it's 12, 12 units we've got total now. So wow, that's like a yeah. It's like boom, let's open up all this stuff. What exactly is an executive chef? Is that more like a managerial position? Are you actually like, you know, getting behind the, the counter and actually cooking? So in our in our actual taproom kitchens, the executive chefs, they're they're running the day-to-day, they're managing it, they're, you know, they'll do some cooking, but not as much. In my role now, the only time I'm really cooking is when I'm developing a new recipe. So I've more office time than I've ever imagined I would have in my career, you know? So it has been a, a learning curve there for sure, but it's very, it's really rewarding. It's really cool. And to get to work with all the different chefs now, which is really fun. Well, now what's up with developing a new recipe? I mean, cause to me, it's like, there's how many more recipes can you have? How much more salt do you need? How much more butter? I mean, what, what goes into the building out a new recipe? Well, you know, it's kind of like what chef Thomas Keller said, there's no such thing as original recipe. We're all stealing from each other at some point, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of that, but basically uh, seasonality, I'll write new menus for each location. And I just kind of write a, a menu and then I look at it and go, okay, well, I've never made these. So I've got to figure out how we're doing these, but they sounded great in my head at the moment that I wrote it. So then it's getting in the kitchen and just, you know, going through the measuring and cooking it. And believe me, there's plenty of times that it turns out that was a bad idea. We're not going to do this dish. <laughs> let me Let me rework that one. I just imagine you in like this lab setting and it's like, okay, today we're going to add a pinch of salt plus some oregano over here. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It is, it is not that cool. <laughs> What's your home kitchen like, man? Or do you have like a real like bona fide, like the gas grill with the, that, that fancy Nancy nozzle that goes over your stove where you can fill up. No, no, I don't have that, but you know, gas range, got two ovens, you know, it's pretty normal. Nothing too crazy. So I tell you, man, one thing I do want to talk about is Philly is a tough crowd. So if you can make Philly, you can make it anywhere, right? Yeah. No, I mean, it's been, it's been a really cool, great reception. I mean, we have the, the coolest address on earth. We're 1776 Benjamin Franklin Parkway. I mean, how, oh, come how on. Cooler, right? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you get any better than that? So I think we already had a win just going into it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been nothing but positive so far. It's it's really been awesome to see. And, you know, the crowd is, it's pretty wild. They get a lot of uh, younger downtown people coming mm-hmm. in. So the beer is definitely flowing in that place for sure. Yeah. I've definitely got to make it out that way. I, I worked in Philly for years, so it's, it's an interesting area. So yeah, that younger crowd, where are the other locations you guys are at? So we've got uh Southern tier Pittsburgh, Southern tier Cleveland, Southern tier Buffalo, uh, the original one's in Lakewood, New York, which is kind of between Buffalo and Erie. Um, really cool little area. Then we've got 
the victory Philly, and then three more victories about an hour outside of Philly, downtown Parksburg. That's where they actually – downtown's where it started. Then we got Charlotte, Asheville, uh, Nellisford, Virginia, which is about an hour from Charlottesville. Okay. And then one more right outside of Asheville. So nice. I got. I should do a tour this summer or next yeah, summer. There you go, man. I'll be like, I'm going on a tour, man. I'm taking Drew with me. We're jumping in the uh, Jeep when we're going, man. Let's do it. None Let's of this. None of this fancy dancy flying and and trains and stuff like that. One thing I do notice is behind Drew's shoulder is Jack Carr's Devil's Hand. Yes, sir. You're you're a big thriller fan, brother. Yeah, I am. Absolutely. I actually, um, I, I got lucky and just won this Vets for Vets uh, giveaway on, um, was it Best Thrill Books on Instagram? Yeah, man, that was a good one. Dude, I've got like, I've got like 30 books in the mail. It's been crazy. That one's actually autographed, so that's going to be my pride and joy forever now. But I am now, what's uh, your, uh, I think Jack, there's so many veteran authors right now that are just hitting it out of the park, man. Yeah, I've got, uh, I just got, um, what is it? The Body Man today. Yeah, the uh, Body Man from listened, Eric, yeah. man. So I can't wait to read that because I was listening to him on on this show, you know, recently. Yeah, Eric is actually. I I interviewed a guy named Ted Bell, and I didn't know about Ted Bell ahead of time. Really, uh, the publicist reached out to me, and they're like, "Hey, Ted Bell, New York Times bestselling author." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." So I looked him up. He has like 15 New York Times bestselling uh, oh, wow. books of the Alex Hawk series, and I had Eric co-host it with me. So he was on that show today, and he's 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 really breaking out there, man. I like it. That's he's awesome. a self-made author. I like that. Yeah, I like the author yeah, I just, community. Yeah, I mean, it, I've been blown away at the generosity of all of them, just from this one giveaway and the stuff they've sent, and it's been awesome. And um, I actually ended up talking to Eric some through Instagram, and he's he's not far from Charlotte, actually. So yeah, he's right down the road. So's um, what do you call it, Charleston? You have Brad Taylor's out that way. Um, that's where Ted yeah. Bell lives. I mean, it's that seems like like if I'm going to write a book, I want to be in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh yeah, I'd like to be in Charleston. Pretty much do anything. So. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> it's a great place. So, what's the day to day for you now? Just really, just just grinding, bro. I see you're at the gym, you're hustling, and back into that, that trying, you know, the trying the, to get there, get back into that 19 year old private. Yeah, yeah. Shape, as we all <laughs> look are. back at those pictures, and I go, huh. <laughs> didn't realize I was in that good of shape then. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so, you know, day to day, we our corporate office is here in Charlotte. So I'm in there uh, working on either writing menus or recipes or events coming up, whatever. And then working with the chefs across all the states, talking to them constantly or going to see them. So you need to show like Gordon Ramsay, man, not the world, the Gordon Ramsay where he's yelling at people. But what he does is he travels around the world and he meets with these in like these different cultures and makes these awesome meals that I think that'd be kind of cool. What do you think about all these reality uh, chef shows? You know, man, like I will give food network all the credit in the world because that's probably what piqued my interest in 92, 93 when they first came out. And I was like, Holy cow, this is awesome. Just watch these guys cook. And you know, over the years it's become more and more reality show contest, reality show contest. Yeah. And I, I've lost interest in it is uh, every now and then one will come up and I'm like, Oh, this one's legit. There's so many of them that so highly edited now. It's like, all right, I just, I just want to see some cool new food, man. So that's all. I just want good, good food, bro. What, you know, if anybody's seen like me and real person from like the waist down, they know I like food, you know, <laughs> or I should I say from my chest down. Cause everybody like, you know, this picture, how do you keep it off though? How do you not become like a humongous, 
chef. Uh, I guess you're on your feet all day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that helps for sure. Um, you know, you learn over time that when you go to taste a dish, you don't have to have six bites of that dish, right? You can have one bite, be like, all right, that's good, or almost there. No, I'm gonna have to eat this whole bowl before I know if I like it or not. So Oh my gosh, I can imagine, man. So um pandemic, man. I yeah. you know, that must have been that is horrible on you know the the restaurant industry. How are you guys surviving with that? And opening up, how do you I mean now we're kind of getting in this weird transition, but what was it like to like build out these new restaurants? You know, it was pretty wild when the pandemic hit and all the restaurants started shutting down. And thank God we are a beer company first because people were still drinking, if not more than ever, um, which, which was great for me. And so we, I mean, literally in our tap rooms, even without serving guests, because we were, we were technically shut down, we were just selling beer. I mean, me, I was going in, you know, other people from corporate, our chefs were coming in just selling beer every day, man. And, you know, just to keep it going. And then, the whole company focus was once this thing kind of starts slows down, we're going to come back stronger than everybody else. That's our goal. And so far we've done it. You know, we opened three new places and it's, it's pretty wild trying to, I mean, with you see it on the news all the time, supply chain and everything else. You know, I ordered plates for a new tap room to open in June and in October. We're like, well, they're not still here. They're still not here. <laughs> you know? So it definitely had its challenges. That is for sure. Yeah, I definitely I want to meet you in person. We need to I need to start doing these at the bar. You know, you I bring go. my bring some mics with me. We just sit there and we talk, man. Yeah. Obviously, Have when there's beer. not a lot of people around, because you know, audio is a thing, man. But you know, bro, you're doing a lot of really good things. And you're you're a really great supporter of the show. And I'm really glad I was able to have you on the show and talk about a little bit about your background. I really want to have you back on again because I want to do more roundtables with people who are in the, the corporate culture who are making something of themselves. And different from just going into the law enforcement fields, different from just going into like, you know, uh, consulting gigs and stuff like that. I want to talk to people like you who have done it, are doing it, and have made something of themselves because they had that military background, because they learned how to work as a team and how they they came up with leadership skills. So I really appreciate what you're doing, man. Thank you. I would love to be back on any time. I mean, obviously I'm a fan of the show. I think it's great. So yeah, you're, you're definitely coming back on. We're going to do some round tables. That's my next thing for this new upcoming year. And this new season four is to do round tables and stuff like that. Cool. Appreciate awesome. it, brother. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, I want to tell the audience out there right now, I'm wearing a hat from deliver fund. They're one of the sponsors of the show. And I want people to understand that trafficking is everywhere. It's not what you think. Human trafficking happens in every town, every small town, every big city. It's happening right around the corner. And it's not exactly what you think. It's not these cargo containers full of uh, women coming back and forth across the seas. While that does happen, that's not the predominant way that it's happening in America. Check out deliverfund.org. They are taking the fight to human traffickers and they're really doing a good deal. They're not vigilantes. They're out there providing intelligence support to law enforcement directly. Check out deliverfund.org. And Drew, thank you, brother. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. I and appreciate thanks, it. I, you know, I, I threw a little, a lot of softballs at you, brother. This is your first podcast. I can't, I can't really hammer you down saying Drew back in 1998, what were you doing on a Saturday? 
you know, I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me on.